0: Welcome in to episode 241 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. Hope you all are safe and sane. We are in week who knows what of quarantine. Um, If you noticed or uh, for anyone asking, we did switch our publish date for the podcast. We are experimenting with a midweek release just to see um, if that works better for everyone. Um, So apologize for the gap of last week, but we're back. Um, We're still cruising and this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. We will be announcing the winner of the Dream Symbol Gorilla Ride giveaway at the towards the end of the episode. Once again, we want to thank everyone who participated. It was very cool to see your clave variation beats. Um, we will be doing another giveaway with Dream here in a few weeks. So stay tuned uh, for details on that. But again, this episode is sponsored by our good friends at Dream Symbols. So make sure you follow them on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and check out their YouTube page. They're always posting some really nice demos of their products, as well as some lessons from some of their artists. That's Dream Symbols, and also this episode is brought to you by RMI Music. RMI Music is the label owned by Russ Miller, the great drummer, studio drummer, touring artist Russ Miller. So this is a privately owned independent record label, um, and. If you didn't know about his label, RMI Records was actually started in 1994. He has 18 different records on the label, seven different artists, including his own band, uh, Arrival. Um, He's got four records coming out this year. First of which is Kirk Covington, great fusion drummer. Uh, keyboardist singer multi-instrumentalist kirk covington he's got a record called captain kirk and the devil horns Uh, we have been promoting that a bit in monja magazine but if you haven't checked it out yet if you go to youtube and look up soul by covington and the devil horns there's a live in session video on youtube of that there's also one for the song called temperance uh, by by covington and the devil horns that's also from a live session um, and then there's um, another one called Chase the Blues Away. So if you haven't checked out Kirk Covington, you're in for a treat. This guy's intense, super musical, tons of chops, very creative. Check out Kirk Covington's band, Captain Kirk and the Devil Horns. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we are day. disorganized today, but it's going to be awesome. I can feel it. It's going to be awesome.
0: Happy Monday to you. It's a new day. It's a new day. And hopefully, if all goes well, you're seeing this pop up in your your podcast app on Tuesday morning. Oh. First thing, we're trying a new a new daily schedule. I don't know if we ever explained why we were doing Fridays, but that was simply because of our schedule f- three, four years ago. We needed to do Fridays. That was it. <laughs> it was, was weird. It.
1: And... And then as time went on, it gave us this buffer period of like, all right, we'll, re- we'll record on Wednesdays and we'll get it out on Friday. But that really means that we can cancel it on Wednesday, yeah. do it on Thursday, and last minute cancel that, do yeah. it Friday morning, yeah. and push it out a immediately. scramble before
0: the end of the workday <laughs> to get it public. So we're trying yeah. to be a little bit more, I don't know, whatever. We're, we're experimenting. We're seeing if this reaches more people this way. It kind of... I think we were kind of selling it short by releasing it over the weekend. Sorry to anyone who got into the use to, to the routine of every Friday. There's a new podcast, but hopefully this will be your new routine, and it'll still be there for you on Friday. You can just ignore the fact that it comes out on Wednesday or Tuesday. There you go. Or now I'm not going <laughs> to,
1: whenever it comes out, I'm not going to do a big rundown for us. But I have to say, I am excited about today's podcast because. We have a, our scouting report, which is just reflective of the fact that uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, we had the NFL draft. Yep. And so if you listen to sports radio like I do, you're always hearing these scouting reports. And we thought, what would it be like to have a scouting report on a drummer? So we're going to get into that for a little bit. And then we have some r- a really cool gear review because it's more of a, I wouldn't call it a shootout as much as a comparison video, yep. but you have three of the exact same dimensions, exact same scenarios, just different woods. Yep. And they're also, what I kind of like about it is they're woods that, two of the woods for sure, the, uh, you have oak, what's the other one, ash, and elm. Elm. Okay, so actually one of the woods. One of the woods, the oak, is the one that I thought, well, I know what that does. Nope. The longer we do this podcast, the more I am positive that, that you cannot break anything. Every single drum is its own unique thing, and you just have to treat it as such. You can't even, you, there's just no, no way to stereotype a wood. And I'm sure Oak's like, hey, you don't know me, yeah, Johnston. you don't know me at all. You don't know you me. you think you I'm know. St- I'm steam bent. You be talking about them other ply dogs. I'm a steam bent shell. You've been talking
0: about glue all these years.
1: <laughs> I went to Stanford. I'm an educated steam bent shell. All right. So how was your week, man?
0: I don't know, dude. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> shit. Has it been a week? Has it been two weeks? It's been, it been more than a three week. Years? I don't know what the hell's going we'll on. Keep in my talking world. while I go
1: find some paper towels. God <laughs> oh, dang it. There's tea everywhere.
0: you <laughs> right. Ask me that question. You know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's been, uh, gosh, literally, it's been craziness. So I've got a bunch okay. of records I've been doing. I just got, um, I don't know if you saw my uh, the, the kit I just set up, but it's my Charlie Watts set up. So I've got ten tracks I have to record that are that are kind of like Rolling Stones sound-alike tracks, which is super fun. Awesome. Uh, so we'll kind of dig more into my thoughts on Charlie's drumming in a later segment, but and then before that, I got to use my stainless steel kit for the first time ever. For this. I didn't know you had a stainless steel kit. It's kind of like a, a piecemeal kit. I got a old marching drum. It's like a ten by twenty six. I traded that um, to my buddy John Emmerich. Um, as a he was using it as a concert drum, but I'm using it as a just originally as a woofer, but now it's my kind of John Bonham kind of crazy bass okay. drum. So then I just filled it out. I bought a 12 inch Ludwig rack tom from the 70s, and then I found a 15 inch old marching drum that I turned into a floor tom. So I've got this weird wow. sort of Ludwig stainless steel, but a lot of marching drums, um, and it is crazy sounding. I mean, it's like my wow. uh, my punk rock meets Led Zeppelin kind of vibe. It's just gnarly. So that was super fun. I did one track with that. That was the debut. My back hurts because those suckers are heavy. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. So heavy. I can only imagine. Uh, not a gigging kit. No, like, unless
1: wouldn't. it's the house kit that you leave there, and you're like, "Good luck." Yeah, if I mean, I'd love to see you run down the, the street with this. Yeah,
0: if I was going to tour with the band and needed this, just silliness, it would be road cases, and it would be on wheel and wheels, and take it up there yeah. and pull it out. I mean, it's not a, it's definitely not a throw in the back of your your SUV kind of. Kit. Right, sure. <laughs>
1: that's awesome, man. Well, that's cool when you get to get some use out of that stuff to prove. To that part of your brain that's like do i really need to keep why do i have this it's true. and then when it, when it actually i've got that uh, vintage bass drum that i bought bought from bryson i i was like thinking why did i literally i know why i got it i got it because i like the color
0: yeah, yeah that's it yeah.
1: and then somehow someone found like you know how every once in a while someone will make a comment on an instagram video from like a year ago of yours where you're like what why would and you click on it, and you haven't seen that video in a while, and it was that bass drum, and that, and it just totally reinforced. Yes, I do need to keep it. That bass drum <laughs> does something that nothing else that I own does. I love it. Campers are going to enjoy playing it. Yeah, keep the drum. Yeah,
0: for sure. And this this track was weird because it is totally different. This 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 artist in particular, he's just all over the map. It's a lot of like Mister Bungle and, and Faith Memoir More kind of accounts sounding Ooh. stuff. So stylistically, all over the map. And then. It's super fun, and he's an, a really good singer. So I was listening to the track for this one, and it's very kind of 80s, post-punk, just kind of weird. I'm like, I can't throw up a maple kit. The birch kit's going to be, like, too clean. Like, what's the f- weirdest, gnarliest, most aggressive thing I got? And like, oh, yeah, those stainless things have just been, like, piled in the corner over there. <laughs> there you go. They were per- By the way, for everybody
1: that's listening
0: on a... Tuesday
1: afternoon if my voice started sounding a lot better that's because I pulled a freaking Dawson and the microphone was turned around backwards and I was looking I'm like where's the logo I gotta tell you Amber was using this mic yesterday during the virtual drum camp I don't know what she did to it but all of a sudden I couldn't see the logo and I'm like this damn mic is in cardioid pattern and it is turned around backwards so if I was a little nasally. Oh, my God.
0: Episode 241. And we're still working out the kinks. Hopefully mine doesn't I'm not going to make fun of you because I have no idea if mine works. But I'm glad you found it. It sounds good now. (laughs) How red is my face? (laughs) I'm so
1: unhappy right now. I wasn't tinkering. Let's not worry about it. It's all good.
0: Let's talk about your camp. You had your first virtual drum camp, which is I can't believe you haven't done it before. So let's... Give the whole rundown. What happened?
1: So, yeah, I mean we can talk about why I haven't done it before. So we've been we've had the tech, I guess, ever since we moved into this facility. So about for 10 years, we could have done a virtual drum camp if we wanted to, because technically Mike's lessons.com is that. It's just not it's lessons not set it's not set up in a camp format. Well the reason I haven't done it before is because I value camps a lot and my camps are – I don't want to have a virtual version take over my real camps. My real camps are my chance to lab with students and be there in the room with them and see what's working and what's not working and talk to them at a lunch and a dinner and five more lunches and dinners and ask them, hey – what are you doing on the website that's really working for you? What's not working for you? What did mm-hmm. you find that was too difficult? Like maybe my expectations in the video were too difficult. So I, I, it would be such a loss if I couldn't do actual drum camps. So really, I figured the website is virtual and drum camps are in person. I'm not doing virtual drum camps. And, like, and that, like you mentioned, I mean, I've been able to do this forever. So this isn't a COVID-19 thing. Well, what had happened was... Obviously, we do get a lot of people asking for virtual camps for the last few years saying like, look, I can afford your camps. I just can't afford to get there. I live in Mm -hmm. Iceland. I live in New Zealand. The travel's too expensive. I also can't take a week off work. Would you ever consider doing a virtual one? And unfortunately, the answer was always no. Uh, Well, what I started thinking about was, one, I needed something to get my ass in gear to create the curriculum for the 2020 camps. Because every time Amber would say, hey, you got to start writing the curriculum because we always write new books for every year, I would say, yeah I watched the news this morning. They just pushed things back to April. Now they just pushed things back to mm-hmm. May. Now they pushed it back to June. So it's been holding me off like, ah, eh, I'll write the camp book just like a typical drummer. I'll write it when things are getting closer <laughs> right. because that pr- – it's, it's a lot of work to write an entire book, knowing that it'll never be published. Yeah. It's only for this thing, and then it's done. So this was a little way to get me to do that. It also got my mind thinking of camps. And then I think there was just a general curiosity on my part of, can this be accomplished? Can I pull off an eight-hour day of drum camp mm-hmm. in a virtual setting? And then lastly, I thought we were in a unique place where generally your average drummer, man or woman, is home on the weekends – Because they work during the week. And that weekend time is their time to spend with their family. And the wife or the husband is like, no, no, no. You're not going to go play drums for eight hours. We haven't seen you all week. Mm -hmm. You're going to spend time with the family. Well, we're in a unique position right now where those same people are now. They've been home for months. And their family would love for them to go in a basement for eight hours and go away. (laughs) Right. So I I really thought, I I asked all the campers. I was like, is your family cool with this? They're like, yes. Hmm. Yeah. I'll be in my basement for the next eight hours. They're totally cool with this. So that was the other part of it was I thought it could work out. So that's why we did it.
0: Now, what about um, – I mean, normally they campers come to you and you have practice pad kits and you have, they can practice on a real kit. I mean, what's the expectation? Are they more observing practice pad only? I mean, what is the process? Yeah,
1: so I let them know. We had a Zoom call. We kept it to 10 students, and we had a Zoom call before the camp started, and I let them know that the entire curriculum – was written as kick snat hair, okay, snare hats, but kick, you know, <laughs> podcast. So I let them know you can do anything you want on the toms, but you do not need it. So as long as you can get to the corner of your bed and put a practice pad there, stomp on the floor, and then use a a paper plate as your hi hat, mm-hmm. you can you can participate. What I wasn't expecting is how much this actually made it better for my students because a lot of the students in the Zoom calls said, you know. At camp, I am stuck on your practice pad kit that you've chosen for us, but this time I was on my drum set at my heights, mm-hmm. my comfort zone, and I was able to practice material that I would normally not be able to play, but in the most comfortable setting possible, especially for my boy Danny, who's been to two camps, and he is left-handed, left lead, oh, yeah. left-footed. And he always has this guilt going that he shouldn't have to have. But every time he comes up to demo a thing, we have to swap the whole kid around. Sorry, Danny. And, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now, keep in mind, Dawson is a left-handed I drummer. I am
0: left-handed. You're just <laughs> Or a left-handed wrong. human. <laughs> you made a mistake many years ago. You should have watched MTV a little bit more closely. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, I love you. The, the core beard
1: is looking good on you, brother. Yeah. Everything's good. So – he, he even said, he's like, man, just to have you teach something and in that moment be able to start practicing because I'm on my own kit, my left-handed setup, it's like that was really helpful. Mm. So that part was really cool. I, we found no faults in that. Um, the one thing I was curious is how do we get a camp vibe? That's why I have camps is so that these people can become brothers and sisters for the rest of their lives, support each other mm. for the rest of their lives. And I got to say, without the Zoom calls, there would be no camp vibe. It would just be me on camera for eight hours straight going like, do you have any questions? And that's not a camp to me, like seeing them and meeting with them. So the way it worked was we had uh, the day before camp, we had a 10-person Zoom call or 11-person with me. Uh, Amber was actually on two, so 12 people Zoom call. And then we let them know what to expect. We let them know how the flow was going to go. And then the classes were 45-minute classes with 15 minute Q and A, but the Q and A could only be related to the class. You mm. could not ask like a hi hat question after I just taught a syncopation lesson. Right. So we did that. Then there'd be like a a tea slash snack slash potty break. Then we come back, we do it again. Then we did the Zoom call, and the Zoom call was where it's like now anything you want to ask, it's open season. Ask anything you want. We did that. Then we had a lunch break. Then we did three more classes, all with Q and As. Then we did a virtual shed session where we traded Phil's, then we traded 4's, then we traded Phil's in 7-8, and then we all played Take Me Home by Phil Collins. I played this little repetitive tom part, and I was like, I'm not going to play the drum part of this song. I'm going to play this melody for the entire five minutes of the song. You play whatever you want. Let's just be a family and get out of this thing. Then we did one more final Zoom call. So that was their day. We had one guy in Ireland. Or no. Uh, Yeah, Ireland. He had to stay up till about 1 a.m. And then we had one guy in Austria that stayed up till 3 a.m. Wow. To finish the class. And I told him, I'm archiving all of this for you on a private page where you'll be able to see all of these classes individually and the camp book and everything. Uh, You can go to bed. And they were all in, man. And they were (laughs) in for that last Zoom call, and it was badass. So it was good. Uh, Will I do it again? Yes, because I think maybe... Three to four of these per year, even when I'm doing my normal camps, would be great for what I mentioned before, the people that say, I, I just can't afford to travel there and yeah. take a week off work. Um, and if you think about somebody coming from New Zealand, Australia, China, uh, they're not taking the time off to be at camp. It's also two days of travel to get here, a yep. day and a half to get That's home. Pricey. Yeah, that adds up quick. And then – Lunches, dinners, breakfast, yeah. yeah. So all of a sudden it's like, well, your camp fee's quite reasonable. <laughs> but all in, we're looking at seventy-five thousand yeah. dollars. <laughs> and because of air travel, I had to rent a private jet to get there. It's
0: like, <laughs> sorry about quit that, man. My job. And-
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. So I think we will do a few of these per year. We are gonna the only thing that's gonna change, we're gonna do a couple more in a couple of weeks, but the one thing that's gonna change is we're gonna split it up into two days so that people that are overseas can manage it. So it'll be a seven a.m. to eleven a.m. West Coast thing, Saturday and Sunday, mm-hmm. and that way, uh, one, I still have the bulk of my day. So I mean, yesterday my whole day was gone. Obviously, yeah. We, I got here at like seven in the morning to start testing every ounce of the tech. Like, okay, cameras, lights iPad batteries. I mean, you know, I've never, I've never been on camera for eight hours straight. That was bananas. I mean, how
0: exhausted were you by the end of it?
1: Never on camera, but I, I didn't notice it until I was like, "All right, bye guys," and like waved at the zoom. <laughs> okay, bye. And, you, like, and then this, the yeah. I was like, Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god!" I was <laughs> like, I call texting Amber, and Amber was here the whole time too with Juno because she had to change all the cameras. Oh man, because we can't have our normal guy Nate here. So she was there. She was fielding all the questions. But the most important thing was, I wanted them to know: look, you paid a lot of money for this. I don't take that for granted. I have to put this on at the best quality possible. So it was four cinema cameras, you know, uh, automated sliders. Amber's got perfect lighting in here. She's asking the questions. Uh, you know, we we went the extra mile as far as we could, uh, and then. I think that the most important thing was all the campers were like, that was crazy how much I just learned in one day. And I had to let them know the pricing structure of real education. I think you'll relate to this, but I had to let them know right away, look, that's stuff that you probably found me doing on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's free? It's because I don't value it. Mm -hmm. That's why I give it away. It's, I've never done any of that stuff in the history of a, of, a, of my <laughs> lifetime. I've never gigged with like, here it comes. <laughs> like, that's, that's just not how it works. Uh, and then I had to let them know too, okay, now then, now we go to Mike'sLessons.com and that is a paid service, but it still has a structure of what online learning is, small bite-sized chunks. Yeah. Now you've paid a ton of money to attend a virtual camp. We're going to work on quarter notes. Yeah. That's the most valuable thing to me. So I said, I know this is going to seem boring. But by the end of me just teaching the subdivisions lesson, everyone was like, can we just stop the camp now? I've got a year of work to do.
0: Well, yeah, that's that's always the thing about it. You, you feel like you have to over-deliver all the time, right? And you really right. think about it like they probably have their entire career already. I mean, cool. Rest of your life, we'll go work on that stuff. I'll see you five, six years maybe.
1: Yeah, like, and so I had to meet? really temper those expectations of this whole camp is not for you. You need to – observe this camp taking place and find three or four nuggets that will change your life that are really applicable to you. But it does, you, you don't have enough time in your life to be a master of all of these things because I'm not a master of all of these things. I'm just showing you, Hey, you've probably played for 10, 20, 30 years and you might not have your subdivisional structure down. You mm-hmm. might not be able to freely go from eighth notes to quintuplets and back. And is that applicable to you? I don't know. But if, if it is, its you know, then then you got to get on it. So we had a great time. Like I said, I'll do it again. But the one thing that was fun is I'm on the 98th drum camp here at Mike'sLessons.com. I am 97 camps removed from the first camp. And I remember the first camp like it was yesterday. Mm. I haven't had a first camp in a long time. That was badass to have my first ever virtual drum camp and look at these faces on Zoom and be like, guys, this is it. We are the only first virtual camp on MikeSelson's.com. <laughs> that was kind of cool. I got to say, like, I was, I mean, and then when we played that Phil Collins song, Take Me Home, oh my God. If you, I'll send you the video, my head is turned away from the camera the whole time because there's like tears rolling down my face.
0: And I'm like, now I imagine everyone was like, You couldn't have possibly synced it up.
1: No, no, I don't see anybody. Remember, I'm just streaming live, it's not on Zoom. So all they hear is this melody that I'm playing, and I had the song cranked, and then they hear themselves. Yeah. So, but when we got on the Zoom call, everyone was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> we just played a song!" and it was it was a lot of fun. So, anyways, we will
0: do more of that. That's and cool, uh, congratulations, always up, thanks. Open the game. Good luck following in your wake. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. All right, let's move on to something else.
1: Uh, so, Dream Contest Masters of Maple. Are we talking about that stuff?
0: We going to uh, well, a I mean, unfortunately, reports? with our we're having to adjust our schedule, we were going to promote the Masters of Maple COVID 19 Music Cares uh, promo, <laughs> which there went on sale to if today is Tuesday morning, they went on sale yesterday. I believe there are only 10 pieces available. So if you didn't get your order in, they're probably no. gone. But <laughs> it's always worth going back and checking Masters of Maple's website. Maybe they didn't sell out. Um, I'm using, I have one of the original 5x14s here. That is my Charlie Watts snare. It's just the perfect, trashy, throaty, like classic rock sound. We can talk about it when we get back to our scouting
1: report, or we're about to start our scouting reports in a bit now that I'm looking at the schedule. Um, (laughs) But I'm really curious as to what, and this isn't about the Charlie Watts scouting report, but I'm curious as to what changes in your mindset. As soon as you say Charlie Watts, I feel like you're let off the hook as far as like, Dude, you don't have to do anything flashy. You don't have to do any frills. You know you have no no chops, but then there must be this whole other completely separate boatload of pressure of now you have to care about the little things you do more than you've ever cared about them.
0: Yeah, it's all about um, style. It's a hundred percent style and taste and picking, making the right choices, limiting your vocabulary. So anything. Any, I mean, yeah, it was way more challenging for me to get that first take of like, okay, now I'm kind of channeling the vibe. Like, do I do the the right hand doesn't hit on the back beats, even though Charlie Watts, when he re- records, always plays the back beats normal on the high hand? Does he really? Yeah, it's only a live thing. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that I'd mess around with, like, nah, that's not quite right. And there's a certain tightness to his groove that it's just, it's just herky jerky in like a cool way. So yeah. not being no, too I mean, style relaxed, is you got to be say. a little bit kind of edgy. Do you actually
1: go through, do you actually position your body a little more Charlie Watts? Like, do you find that happening or are you still Mike Dawson 100%? Uh,
0: no, I went, I went weird. I had traditional grip. I kind of made the toms a little bit hard to reach because I wanted it to be wow. a little bit more difficult to play. I didn't want it to feel super relaxed. Wow, that's awesome, man. Yeah, and I got the kit to match as best as I could. So yeah, there's a certain thing to him that it's all style. It's all being really deliberate and just, you know, only playing the song. There's no at no moment that you're like, let me do something cool. And do something that follows the guitar riff. That's the only rule. Follow the guitar riff. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a really cool thing. How do we get right, on that? Well, anyway, yeah, so the dream contest will pull the winner here in a bit for that. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Awesome. There we
1: go. All right, well, let's get into some educational stuff. I want to talk about ostinatos, and that's been a reoccurring theme on this podcast quite a bit because it just falls under drummer nerd terms where people use Things like, oh, it's a metric modulated polyrhythmic ostinato with beat displaced. And it's like, stop talking. Like, <laughs> just stop talking. You're just trying to create something. Uh, so let's talk first about what constitutes an ostinato. And I'm not talking like let's dig it up on Wikipedia. Just in your mind, is it as simple as repeated pattern?
0: What constitutes an ostinato? Yeah, for me, it's that's all it is. It's a repeated pattern usually – Short enough to where you can identify the pattern pretty quickly. It had to be pretty brief. I mean, one measure long probably at most for me. Otherwise, it becomes a phrase, a repeated phrase. There you go. Yeah, I think that that's a really good
1: aspect of it because people – a lot of times when I'm teaching students, I don't know why this became my go-to – Order of ostinatos, but my first foot ostinato that I teach a student that's getting into a little bit more advanced drumming would be samba. And then it either will go to uh, shift over to Cuba and be tumbao, or it'll go to bio back to Brazil. But they're always shocked at the difficulty level difference between samba, which might take them a while. And then as soon as we hit bio or tumbao, it shuts them down like they're like, I really can't even start this. I'm like, well, it's twice as long. Mm-hmm. Samba is if you're feeling it at sixteenth notes. Samba is one beat long. One, 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 one. Bio is two beats long. One, two, one, two, one, two. Yeah. So you have twice as many little placements that the e's and the uh's can go against that bass drum, that you know, second and third bass drum. So stretching it out yeah i i agree with you once we hit a measure i'm like stop Um, it's a vamp (laughs) at that point it's not really yeah good point okay so does here's
0: another misconception ostinato is something you do with your feet when you were talking about that i was going to ask do you teach ostinatos mostly as foot patterns because i do the opposite i teach them as right hand patterns first And I focus on foot freedom over top of right-hand ostinatos.
1: Yeah, and I think that's completely stupid. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to see how long I could look in your eyes. Uh, Okay. um, (laughs) Now, I, I think I wouldn't have thought of it unless you brought it up. But yes, I think that... The first time I use the term ostinato with a student yeah. is on the feet, but that is not their first ostinato they learn. So they, I might have taught them bass drum freedom underneath ding, chicka ding, chicka ding, jicka ding, which I would absolutely consider to be an ostinato, mm-hmm. but I probably wouldn't use that word yet. And, and I don't really have a reason for it. I just, it probably wouldn't have come up in my private teaching. And then as soon as we started doing something repetitive with two feet, even if it was just marching in place, mm-hmm. just boom, chick. Then for some reason, it clicks like now we're in the ostinato land. And then after I've mentioned it once, now that term is freely used all the time. All right, we're going to do an ostinato with the right hand. And they're like, oh, the thing you taught me six years ago? Yeah, it wasn't an <laughs> ostinato back then, but now it is because you know what that word means. So I agree with you as far as the order of teaching. They're definitely going to learn some right hand ostinato patterns yeah. first, um, but I don't I just – it's weird. I, I don't think I've ever called it an ostinato at that point in their lessons. Uh, so really let's get back to the point though. Is just playing a single limb repeated pattern an ostinato? Do
0: 100%. You both agree that yeah, yes. 100%. Yes. You know, I don't think I use the term very much. I try to avoid classical music terminology usually unless the student is in that world because – Okay. I don't I, – I think it just adds an extra layer of confusion of trying to teach Italian when I just mean – play this right hand pattern and repeat it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm gonna call it very
1: soft we don't have to go <laughs> is it pianissimo or is it triple piano yeah so I mean, it's, it's just one of those freaking old, get
0: quieter old kind of pedagogical things that I have a hard time unless we're looking at you know the offered book and it has these words in it right drum set players I don't know I guess at some point you have to know what an is but yeah. I think I think it's our <clears throat> job as teachers just to
1: Make sure that they're familiar with things they might encounter somewhere else. And my thought is if I have this drummer that's completely trained up and can play his or her butt off and then they go for one private lesson with their dream teacher, whoever that is, and that person says, okay, just do like a simple ostinato with your feet and we're going to play some stuff with their hands. I don't want this badass drummer to be like, what's an ostinato? So. Yeah. I agree. I'm not drilled. I, I don't drill them on it. I'm not worried if they really know what it means. But I'm probably using it very loosely. Like, all right, let's do this ostinato. By the way, that just means repeated pattern, and I casually move on. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. But so okay what was the original question? Yeah, I think a right hand quarter notes on the right hand is an ostinato, and I've, i I. Okay, so it doesn't that. need to be syncopated. No, it's just it's some just kind of repeated consistent. pattern where one or two or three other limbs are playing something against it, and it doesn't change. That's, I think, the key. Like If I'm playing
1: eighth notes on my right hand, which we could consider an ostinato, and then two and four on the snare, and then one and three on the kick, I don't consider that my right hand's really playing an ostinato because the other two limbs aren't playing against it. If I started right. freely improvising with my bass
0: drum, then I would consider the hand part yes. to be an ostinato. Yes, Or in that, the, the previous example, the, if the left foot started playing melodies over top of that three-limb. Rock beat, I would there consider we go. that rock beat your ostinato.
1: And I do it's, – it's great that you bring that up. I do use the amount of limbs in the terminology. Like I will say, all right, we're going to do a two-limb ostinato. Here's the repeated part between mm. these two hands. Now your feet are free to do whatever they want or your feet are the two-limb ostinato. They'll be playing this. But I do think an ostinato can be anything repetitive. The key to an ostinato is that it buys you freedom to play less. And that's, I think, the most important. When people think, like, why do I have to do all this crappy independence work? If I played this, glat, glat, Glut da-ga-da. That's pretty boring.
0: If I'm playing
1: <laughs> doon shaka doon shaka doon shaka doon shaka 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 doon shaka doon shaka doon shaka doon, then it's like, oh, the train is a moving. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, dude, I just played flams per bar, <laughs> like one per bar, and it was cool because there was this thing underneath it. Or let's now take it over to the jazz world. I mean, that's what comping is. You're you're comping it, on the independence level, not on a mm. musical level. You're learning how to improvise with your left hand, your bass drum, while playing a two-voice ostinato if you choose to keep the hi-hat on two and four. Right. So my question for you, for the jazz world, is at what point does it stop being an ostinato? Is it just changing one ride cymbal note? Or is it that the fact that all four limbs are playing in concert and slightly improvising together, now we've left the world of
0: ostinatos? My perspective on that, which I'm sure will be different for any anyone who plays the genre, um, would be the ostinato is always undercurring. So that right hand ding-jing-a-ding-jing-a-ding ding, a ding, ding, a ding is just the undercurrent. So even if the right hand deviates from that, subconsciously you're still locking in with that original ostinato. And Got then – so maybe it's the bass drum that cues the ride cymbal to jump off the pattern for a second or you wanted to do a, a two-limb unison thing with the snare drum and the ride cymbal kind of Roy Haynes sounding. Mm. But you're still going to come back to your ground, your, your bass line ostinato yeah. at some point. So I don't think it's ever like, okay, don't play the jazz ride pattern anymore. It's, it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. always there. It's just either right. implied or explicit. But you should always be able to jump off it and on it
1: Yeah, I think what would make it stop being an ostinato to me is not that, obviously jazz is its own world, we're dealing with a different genre, but it's not that you stop doing the ride. It's that your bass drum or your snare forced the ride to change, then you don't have freedom under that ostinato. If you made a musical choice for the ride to change, fine but if putting a bass drum on the uh of one where there wasn't a naturally a ride forced you to play a ride then you don't have freedom under that then it's not an ostinato because your other limbs are dictating what your ride symbol does yeah your independence um, isn't isn't
0: there yet yeah
1: exactly sure. and i think that that's where you know a lot of, i'm a lot of my students ask like so are there only three foot ostinatos cuz i teach samba tumbao and bio and it's like <laughs> no no these are the ones that it's the same with polyrhythms. Like, yes, there is there is a 9 over 11 polyrhythm. How musical is it? Not ever, at all, <laughs> ever. So, yes, there are complicated foot ostinatos, but I'm trying to show you the ones that I believe that instantly are musical and applicable. And if you just had independence over the samba foot ostinato, but you'd never heard of a bossa nova, the second somebody showed it to you, it wouldn't take you that long to learn it because you worked out your independence. Yeah. A bossa nova does not sound complicated, but if you've never worked out your independence, or the other thing is really tricky for people playing bossa for the first time, maybe they have worked out their samba foot ostinato independence, but it's a two-voice ostinato, and they can't take out that left foot on the Mm. ands without it falling apart. And so when they go to play those straight eights on the hi-hat and they can't use their left foot anymore... It's actually a new ostinato. Now it's a one-limb ostinato. Well, it's a two-limb, but right hand and right foot instead of right foot and left foot.
0: Yeah, I feel like Brazilian and jazz are kind of related in that way. Like that, that mm. ostinato that, we, that we've kind of considered the Brazilian ostinato is implied more often than Good luck not. finding it. Yeah, Good luck finding it ever on a record. <laughs> it's the equivalent of spang spang lang and, and jazz. Yeah. Like the goal <laughs> is to just have that be your undercurrent rhythm. But mm-hmm. the bass drum doesn't have to play all those notes all the time. And in, in most cases, right. I would think a band leader would be like, hey dude, we got a bass player. You can right. you can chill with the bass drum on some of yeah. the stuff.
1: Well, the same, exactly the same reason we had feathering so prevalent in jazz early on is because we didn't have amplification and the right. it wasn't because people didn't know where the quarter note was. We had to fill up the room with low end because yeah. no one could hear the upright bass. So yeah, I, I totally agree with that. All right. Well I think we've I think we Kind of actually got somewhere with that. So where would you go
0: with what would be the next foot ostinato? I was trying to think of one for me, and it would be the shuffle, like the the double bass shuffle. But the hi hat plays the downbeat, the right foot plays the offbeat. Okay. What would be if you go if you've got your 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 jazz foot ostinato, which is all four on the bass drum, two four on the hi hat. Okay. You get your samba. You got your baião. You've got your tumbao. Yep. What would you do? Next? Uh
1: I still. Have yet to conquer any triplet based foot ostinato. I would love straight threes, either as triplets or as 16th notes with that four against three rhythm. But I would love a splash, close, close that doesn't stop. Because I do play in when I play uh Tumbao, I actually play splash, close, close, splash, close, close okay. to give a shaker a feel. I would love for that to not have the stop. Sh-da-da, sh-da-da, sh-da-da. Splash, close, close, splash, close, splash, okay, close, splash, cool. close. Whether that's felt as one e and a two e, and a, get that almost Danny Carey feel, but only left foot. I feel like that's something Nick Vir- Virgilio could do very
0: easy. That sounds like a, a shut my brain, shut brain would collapse on itself instantly.
1: <laughs> I, I would like that one, um, but I I went through. Uh, you know, I don't know if you experienced this. Being on the East Coast, but as a Californian kid playing Latin and Brazilian music, you had to have all – it's weird. You actually had to practice all the wrong variations because you didn't know how skilled the bass player was going to be. So you might do a Brazilian gig, but they just got some guy from Sac State College, and he plays a tumbao for all the Brazilian tunes. Mm. So you have to have your feet be able to play that tumbao foot ostinato while your hands are playing a jazz samba. And vice versa, I had to play samba foot ostinatos underneath a mambo.
0: Holy crap. Is so, that a Pete Magadini lesson? I feel like he wrote an article about that.
1: Like really? Like blending samba and... Then he African. stole that <laughs> stuff from me. He's my teacher, but he stole that from me because I remember going in and going like, hey, man, what do you do when you're going ding, cha, ding, cha, ding, cha, And the guy goes, doom, da,
0: doom, da, doom, da, doom. pretty sure he wrote an article on that.
1: Well, then that was based off my life.
0: And I remember thinking, what is this dude doing? He's combining two different... Universes. well he lived
1: in he lived in california too he probably went through it where you just get there and it's like well i'm not gonna fight you on stage about this but you are in the wrong country right now
0: that's and so now
1: i have to play a song go while my feet go doing chicka doon chicka doon. so yeah so i think that that that's another reason why independence work can be so applicable in the moment as soon as the leader counts us in and i hear that bass player you know it's like i come in with like all right guys here we go ah 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 doom to doom to doom and i'm like oh my god are you really playing a samba right now and then i just have to be like okay here we go independence Mm. and you got to do it so all right so i hope you guys enjoyed that i hope you know what an ostinato is and for any of you that have done wedding gigs or any kind of gigs where a random person plays a piano montuno in the middle of a bossa nova (laughs) you know you know that you've been there
0: Once again, we have to thank our sponsors, uh, Dream Symbols, who's been a longtime sponsor of the show. We don't need to – no introduction at this point, hopefully. And if you haven't had a chance to check out any Dream Symbols uh, for now, I guess you have to go to YouTube and check out some demos or check out some reviews that I've done and various people have done for Modern Drummer. Um, hopefully when we're no longer under lockdown you can go to your local dealer check out some dream models Um, there's lots of cool stuff in their catalog and we are going to be announcing the winner of the giveaway of the bliss 22 inch gorilla ride which is i guess their i think it's their heaviest symbol it's very pingy it's like a perfect um rock ride so we'll check that out we'll give that away here in a bit in this episode is also also brought to you by RMI Records, which is an independent record label owned by the great drummer Russ Miller, uh, which has been around since 1994. He's got 18 records out on it, seven different artists. His own band, Arrival, has a bunch of records on it. He's got four records coming out this year. I talked in the intro about Kirk Covington. He also has a record coming out with Giovanni Hidalgo and Russ Miller. That's called Two Becomes One. That's due out in June. Uh, He has another record coming out with his band Arrival. That's called Soul, Mind, and Body. That comes out in August. A little bit more info on the Kirk Covington record. So this is actually Kirk's fourth solo project. uh, But this is the first one where he's doing all the vocals. He's singing. He's playing keys, drums. He wrote and arranged all the material. And he has an 11-piece horn band. So really interesting. If you're not familiar with Kirk Covington as a drummer, multi-instrumentalist, Definitely check him out. You're in for a treat once you start uncovering um, just how deep his career goes. This new record uh, they're describing as a 70s Chicago meets Weather Report style, which is super cool. Kurt was actually Joe Zawinul's drummer, which is the keyboardist who was in Weather Report, who co-founded Weather Report. Um, so all of the Kurt and the Devil Horns stuff was filmed um, in addition to being recorded for audio. So there's a live in-session two-disc Blu-ray audio CD set that's available Um, They've got uh, a handful of the videos on YouTube. So if you search YouTube for Kurt Covington and the Devil Horns and then look for anything that's subtitled Live in Session, you're going to see some footage from this new project of his. Very cool. Follow Kurt on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. um, And you can purchase – you can stream all this stuff on Apple Music. You can purchase it on Amazon. It's also on Spotify. So thank you, RMI Music. Um, Let's get back to the show.
1: All right. Let's get to our scouting report. So – I mentioned earlier, this is based off the fact that we just had the NFL draft and you're hearing tons of scouting reports and scouting reports are usually somebody coming out of college and they give you just one sentence, little pieces, little chunks of information because they don't have time to give you the full rundown on this person's entire career. So they'll just say, all right, we've got Jordan Johnson coming out of LSU rocket arm, six, four prototypical quarterback avoids the rush. And it's just all these single sentences. So, Mike and I tried to pick drummers that it wasn't whether we liked them or didn't like them. They were just really famous, and we didn't know a ton about them. And it would be, what would the scouting report be for that drummer if you were trying to tell somebody else about them? Mm -hmm. So we were on the phone talking, and Mike mentioned, he's like, dude, I actually have to do kind of a Rolling Stones thing. And even though we know a lot about uh, Charlie Watts' career, doesn't mean you've dug into his playing. So you chose Charlie Watts. Absolutely, yep. Yeah. And I said, I was like, man, you know who I've never really looked into at all it was Lenny White. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those names where if somebody said, well, what do you think about Lenny White? I'd be like, ah, oh, he's great, man. But I know <laughs> nothing about it. It's like, and I would say the stock lines like, oh, Return to Forever? What are you kidding me? <laughs> Bitches Brew? Oh my God. The guy's amazing. Right But Freddie I know,
0: Humber, n- yeah. yeah <laughs> Freddie
1: Hubbard. Oh my God. The guy's killing it. And then I had to ask you the question that proves I know nothing about him. I'm like, he's still alive, right? And you're like, And you're like, yeah, he's still alive. I'm like, okay. And then you said, I think. And I was like, okay, (laughs) cool. So that's the reason we picked these drummers. It was because there are names that have been around since we were both kids. They've been famous since we were kids. But we really didn't know a lot about it. So I'm going to run through the scouting report on Lenny White. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you the first couple lines you'll hear is very Wikipedia style. And then everything after that will be only from my observations. Keep in mind. Scouting reports are almost always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like almost, a- Russell Wilson cannot avoid the rush. Yeah. Too short. All of his passes will get blocked down. Will never be a starter in the NFL. <laughs> wrong. So, here. So, it, if you disagree with my Lenny White observations, I'm okay with that. What it's was fine. Johnny Manziel's scouting report? Because he, he uh, was a dud. Keep him out of Vegas. <laughs> 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 All the talent in the world, and we'll throw it away. <clears throat> if you're listening, Johnny. Sorry. Yeah, well, you can Okay, here did. we go. <laughs> yeah. Lenny White's scouting report. Uh, he plays the position of drummer. My projection is he'll get picked in the top 100. He was born on December 19th of 1949. He's best known for his gig with Return to Forever with Chick Corea, Aldi Miola, and Stanley Clark on bass. Uh, he also played on Bitches Brew with, by, uh, by Miles Davis and played on a million other projects and was the leader of his own stuff. All right, here comes the scouting report. <laughs> Favors syncopated grooves over non-syncopated ones. I, okay. I honestly rarely heard him play. Uh, ca, uh, it was always. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. yeah, Very yeah. Steve Gaddish, okay. but before Steve. so Or around the same time, but yeah. it didn't seem overly influenced by him. Uh Likely to choose a crystal clear ride symbol over a washi one. mmm he had a really open drum set sound, but I always could hear every single ride cymbal note, like ting, ting, ticka, ting, ticka, da, ting, ding ticka, ting, ting. Right. And so that stood out to me. Wide open tom sound. Wouldn't mind playing concert toms if that's all that was available. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, while having a wide open tom sound, you might find two to three pillows inside his bass drum. It was always like the thuddiest kick ever, but these massive toms. Uh-huh. And so it was weird because I would expect him to have the rezzo head off of the kick with nothing in it and be wide open too. But it, his kick sound didn't match his toms at all. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure that's kind of just the way that the 70s sounded. By the way, I want everyone to know this is not based off of current Lenny White. I thought, let me go to like the heart of when Lenny White became famous in yeah. the first place. So all this is based off of his drumming in the uh, mid 70s. Drummers that you might hear in Lenny White's playing include Mike Clark and Billy Cobham. I heard Hmm. all the syncopations of Mike Clark's funk playing, and I heard all the bombastic single-stroke rolls across the toms of Billy Cobham's playing. Yeah, good assessment. Loves accenting every note with the musicians around him. <laughs> he does not let you play ticket to ticket to gank boom while going, oh, Yeah, man, you got this. He plays it on the toms with you. So it he was very, very I would say the thing with that is he has big ears. He big ears, hears everything yeah. around him. All right, would fit so now we're gonna jump to the modern thing. Of like, well, what if he was just hitting his stride right now? He would fit well in Dream Theater, Animals as Leaders, and Periphery. Mm. I think he would be amazing at keeping that quarter note ostinato in the gent world while accenting everything that the band does. And last thing is wonderful mix of linear and nonlinear elements. Now, drumming is a mix of linear and nonlinear. What I mean by that is (laughs) in a single groove, he will have a very specific section of four to six to eight notes that is very linear followed by a little stab or a little something that's nonlinear and he'll repeat that every bar so it really is a true mix of a section of linear followed by a section of nonlinear mm-hmm. he's not doing it on purpose it's just how he hears the drums so that is my scouting report on lenny white do you want to play a little clip of
0: lenny sure what do we got all right yeah uh, yep we'll do that
1: <laughs> we'll do whatever you sent me All right. Something
0: from Return of Forever. This is that live clip from uh, an early concert with Return of Forever. Boom. Lenny White, can I can I weigh in a tiny bit on Lenny White for my please do? I think yeah, for me he's a drummer that was really hard to get into because it's not easy to understand what that man's doing. So my scouting report for him is it's a lot of it's a lot of um street grit. Like yeah. he's he's not playing by the rules and therefore he might confuse you. But if you kind of zoom out and take a look at what he's doing, he's got his own way and it's just as it's more creative. I mean, so I think he's creative. Like, if you want someone who I've, can go for it and not have to play by all the rules, he's mm-hmm. he's a good guy. Yeah, I've walked away from Lenny White probably five
1: times in my lifetime as a drummer. It's not like I just heard about him. It was that like, oh, let me give this a shot. Nope. And it was never, <laughs> nope, I don't like it. It was always, nope, I don't get it. Yeah. And the thing is, he would show up on those discs that Modern Drummer would put out like, Oh, we've got an all-star CD with <laughs> yeah. Steve Smith, Dave Weckl, Vinnie Colaiuta, Lenny White. I'm like, oh, his name's in there. And his track was always the one that I was like, nope, I don't get it. <laughs> and so uh, this was actually a really fun exercise to be like, don't try to get it. Just try to find some common ground with it and find like, what are his tendencies? Yeah. It's not good or bad. It's just tendencies. And I think that's why this kind of scattering report exercise was a lot of fun to do. Because I didn't have to get it. All I had to do was try to find his tendencies. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think a modern guy I would put in that same ballpark as Justin Brown that we talked about a couple episodes ago. Like, you're not going to totally. get what he's doing at first, so just just observe so funny. It.
1: <laughs> People ask me like, "Hey, man, you said he's like one of your top five drummers of all time. You said you totally have known him since he was a kid. You've never mentioned him once." And and my response is because you can't handle it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want it coming back on me it. like it's my fault. <laughs> yeah. That's why I give you the. That's why I give you the easy dessert. don't just show up with some chef's table meal that you will never understand. Yeah. Justin like, Brown,
0: Zach Danziger, Zach Hill. Yeah, totally. Let's throw them all in there. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Chris Dave. Chris if
1: Chris <laughs> is like with his own band, um, man. Oh Ari Honig. Yeah. First time I heard that, I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to like the first note. King! I was like, yep, oh, I'm out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know what? Your favorite guy um, from Wilco. For yeah, if you don't, Koji. if you're not ready for it, Glenn, uh, Billy
0: Martin, for sure. Yeah, I just did a, yeah. uh, a web interview with Glenn that we'll be publishing this week. So if you're listening to this episode, it's probably on the new Modern Drummer YouTube channel, where he did his top 10 solo drum albums, which. That's awesome. And he was being – it was really cool because he was like, do you mean like solo, like the whole record has to be solo, just drums, no tracks, nothing? I'm like, yeah, man, go as specific as you want. And he just dropped a hammer with like 20. I was going to say, I didn't know there were 10. Yeah. he I mean he couldn't <laughs> – he's like, I got 10. And at the end he's like, I've got like a handful more I just have to mention. And they're all just so crazy creative. Like, really? So if you're if you're curious about where Glenn gets his weirdo side – these ten records, like oh, if if you can normalize this crazy stuff, then Kochi's is going to sound like pop music to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. All right, let's get into your scouting report for
1: Mister. All right, Charlie I didn't Watts. go nearly
0: as as structured, but Charlie Watts was was the uh, the candidate for my all star team. I was researching and um, let's see, how would you describe him? I think in the beginning, frustrated jazz drummer, um, which so I think that maybe it took him a while to kind of get comfortable, but then once he found his groove, ultimate team player um, leads when he needs to follows when he needs to um, consistent as hell. His sound is just instantly it's Charlie Watts. It's not the most like distinct. It does sound like Steve Gadd, like, Oh, that's Steve Gadd or that's John Bonham. Charlie Watts is more of a, normal sound but when you really dig into it you're like oh that's that's charlie watts like there's unmistakable that snare drum sound is charlie watts that like i said earlier that weird kind of herky-jerky but still really in the pocket feel charlie watts um can be rock solid when he needs to can go with the flow when he needs to if 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 it needs to move he's going to move if he needs to hold down and not let it budge He's he's like a lock. That's the big thing I learned about him was I kind of thought the band was loosey-goosey with the time, but there's some live cuts from, from the Stones that, like, he doesn't budge. It sounds like a drum machine. Like, okay, this dude can hold it down when he needs to, but he knows his music, so he lets it breathe. So team player, creative without being selfish. He's very selfless. Um, what
1: about the actual sound itself? Is it a tight sound? Is it small drums?
0: Is it bombastic? It's, I mean, I know, it's but the, I just the transitional music. jazz to rock sound. So it's it's, okay. it's it's high, bright sounds, but maybe no bottom heads. Or the toms might be ringy. The bass drum is punchy. The snare is open and honky, but he might throw a wallet on it. So it's like this transition. I think putting him in the same world as like a uh, Densmore with the doors drum sound wise. It's a jazz sound, but they've had to adapt to the more kind of rock vibe. Yeah, um, and he's just been super consistent with that sound. It's it's unbelievable. Um, so the for me, the Charlie Watts bass drum sound, single ply coated head, no front head. Put a like a like a heavy small pillow inside, and it's and just instant. Does he
1: play a small kit, big kit? I
0: thought it was a small kit, but it's not twenty two, thirteen, sixteen. You're lying. No,
1: that's what he uses. If you say Charlie Watts, I literally think a bop kit. Nope. Actually, twenty two, thirteen, sixty, or 22, what is he, twelve. Seven 60. foot eight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can see him in my mind, Blintz. <laughs> wow, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Hey, maybe on the early records, but again, I think um, sure. I was zeroing in on like that mid period Let It Bleed era, where like the Stones became what everyone thinks of the Stones. The early stuff, they were sure. just a, a blues band, a white blues band. But, yeah, I think it's a 12-16-22. I only have 13-16-22, but this old Sling Link, it got me there quickly. Um, yeah, That's so awesome. what else I got to say about Charlie Watts? Um, I would say wise beyond his years, even though he's oldest dirt now. But, hey, <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, I mean, I think when I look back at some of that stuff, and I'm not – I'll tell you right now, I'm not a big Stones fan where, like, I know all the stuff – but he's somebody
0: where I don't think he'd be embarrassed by his drum parts from 30 years ago. Yeah, simplicity. Um, he goes with what is timelessness. So there's no mm-hmm. there's no trendiness in his drumming at all. Um, yeah, I think he's 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 more like a, a well aged Scotch than. Like a trendy hybrid fusion tequila or something. He's definitely – he's not a Zima. He's not like a wine cooler (laughs) from the 80s. (laughs) Yeah, he's no White Claw.
1: (laughs) 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 Little Bartles and James. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. And I would be so more than happy to do more of these scouting reports, especially from your submissions. If you guys want to submit like, hey, this drummer has a big name. But you guys never talk about him or her on the podcast. Can you do a scouting report on that person? I would love it because I think it's just a really fun way to dig in without the pressure of uh, – and by the way, when I said Mike sent me uh, – what what did you send me? It's because I actually asked Mike, do you have any reference of where I should start? This guy's career is so massive. Mm. I really don't know what makes Lenny White Lenny White. So he sent me a, a Return to Forever track that – or. was um, A YouTube clip that it was like okay this is kind of quintessential Lenny White start there and then branch out and I did that um and I would love to do that with more artists because there are just too many great players in this world for Mike and I to know every tendency of all of them all right now it's time to get into our super candy uh this is really cool so Doc Sweeney sent you three drums yep same exact drum except for the wood was different right
0: yeah, so this is the Doc Sweeney Pure Series, which what they've done is they've steam bent um, snare drum shells, and they're not using reinforcement rings. I don't know if anyone else has done that. So it's the, I think it's the first of its kind with just a bent piece of wood with no re rings. It's stable. They figured out how to make it stable, which makes it the purest example of what that timber can do when it's when it's steam bent into a shell. Um, so they sent five and a half by fourteen. Identical drums, uh, they all have the inward flange hoops, like the old Slinger-style hoops. Um, Eight lugs, I believe. One, two, three, four. Eight lugs. Uh, They all came with, which is a a big factor in in the sound, ultimately. They came with fiber skin heads, batter heads, diplomat fiber skins. Uh, but other than that, they're identical. I mean, they're all identical except for the wood. So one, the first one is ash. The second one is oak. And the third one is elm. That's the order that I played them. So that's probably the order that we should listen to them and and discuss them. Um, so, yeah. What do we think ash is going to do? That's the first question I always ask myself. It's going to play a halftime shuffle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's gonna have platinum albums sitting behind it, and it's gonna be very Ash Sonish. I had that's the one I own an Elm drum that he sent me, okay. that Doc Sweeney sent me. Oh, by the way, what's his? Is it Kevin? Kevin. Who's who's the who's Doc Sweeney? Steve. 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 <laughs> Steve. Whatever. Well, there's three guys, but Steve's
0: the one that you that we all deal with. Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> he sent me an. elm I think he sent me an elm drum. Uh, but uh, so I think I kind of knew what that one was going to do. Ash was the one where I really had no clue, and it surprised me the most. So I don't want to make any predictions because I have listened to these. Okay. Uh, but I. But going into it, I really didn't know. Is this like a maple, a birch, a wood, or is it a metal sound? I had no clue. Okay.
0: I guess I'll. Let's give it a listen. Right, let's check it out. So we'll do like three different tunings: high, medium, and low.
1: that drum does (laughs) what i mean by that is i it's because it's the first drum i'm listening to in this series yeah it just sounds like a drum so i have to say it actually is would be an awesome drum if you weren't trying to add something to your collection but instead you were starting your collection yes
0: that's what i found too it's the most maple quote-unquote of of the bunch it kind of just does what a what a drum's supposed to do with no no fan, huge fanfare. Although, if you go down to the super low tuning, all three of these drums were like shockingly fat sounding in the super low tuning.
1: And I will say, since I have heard all three, they all sounded like great drums. But if you wanted to hear the difference, actually, the low tuning is where they were way different than each other. Yep. All usable, not better or worse. But I, that was when I was like, oh, that sounds nothing like the last one. Mm-hmm. Where the medium and high was like, okay, I, I hear that they are different. But in the low tuning, it was way different. Okay, so... This, that was ash. And man, I'm still kind of blown away by what you said about the re ring. So that's literally a plank of wood yep. bent into a cylinder mm. and staying in a cylinder. And when you take the heads off, it doesn't go bang. <laughs> I should probably take the heads off and see what happens. <laughs> it's like, hey, I sent you the drum, never take the heads off. Otherwise, it'll go bang. <laughs> I mean that's just incredible that they that he's able to do that. Okay, so next up is okay. I see right away why oak has made its way into our wood world in so many kits, so many snares, like so many companies offer maple, birch, and oak. Mm -hmm. The overtones and the low tuning were almost non existent. So it was just super just fat. And I was actually surprised at how snappy and sensitive it sounded in the mid and high tunings. Yeah. This Um,
0: yeah, for me it was an immediate reaction. Like, I, I played the ash drum and got kind of accustomed to what these drums are going to sound like. I put the oak drum, started with the exact same tuning that I started with the ash drum. It just sounded like the brightness was – I mean, not the brightness, but the the presence was Sizzle. just cranked. Yeah. It was just so, yeah. so present by comparison.
1: Totally. And that's not – like I told you, when we started the podcast, I said, I thought I knew what oak did. <laughs> Clearly, I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about because <laughs> – why would this one have the EQ kind of veed out on it? Yeah. It's oak. It's supposed to be dead and thuddy and like you can only play oak on your Mumford and Sons gig in my mind. And then I was like, or not, I guess.
0: It's way off. Oh man, yeah, I like this one for having like just extra high end that I didn't have to EQ into oh. it. So there was no artificial brightness in this drum.
1: And I love that he just went with like a really really beautiful Clear lacquer. So you really do see how different these are grain wise. Um, Steve, if you're listening, this one would look really good at my house because it matches my (laughs) floors. Uh, I have oak hardwood. So, all right. And the last one up is Elm. This was the oddball
0: for me. I had no idea what to expect.
1: Okay, for me, similar to the Ash, it it sounds like a drum. It sounds like a really good drum. Um, I I don't know, man. It's kind of tough. I think that these drums, because they're the exact same size, you have the same tunings. We've talked about this so many times on this podcast. If you have the same tuning, the same heads, and the same size, it's really not going to be a massive, massive difference.
0: Uh, And your ear will adapt to it very quickly. Yeah, and I think, yeah, the ultimate lesson is if you like the way these drums sound, then just get a Doc Sweeney drum and it'll give you that, that sound. And then if you like the way uh, Ludwig Metal Snare sounds, then just get a Ludwig Metal Snare and it'll, it'll give you that sound. That okay, said, let me ask you – oh, go ahead. The That's Elm fine. was the one to me that I spent the longest playing because I felt like it took the longest for me to figure out what the hell was going on with it. OK. It also had the most like aluminum quality. Like, wow. transparent, kind of dry, but still with a lot of personality. It just felt like there was something connecting me with the old Superphonic. Like, it's one of those drums that will work on everything, and it's just funky enough and dry enough. It stands out. Yeah. It kind of had that vibe. And I don't know why, but I spent like a half hour longer testing this drum than the other two. Okay. could First of all, could you feel a difference between the three woods? No. Playing them? Nope. Okay. Everything was identical. The snare response, everything felt exactly the same. I mean, physically. So obviously what I was hearing in my in-ears was giving me a different reaction. The oak just felt like I wanted to just play more notes and play more aggressively. The elm just had me exploring a little bit more, like vibey, vibiness.
1: Now, I know it doesn't work this way. Uh, Otherwise, you would actually have opened a store by now. But (laughs) if you had to send back two and keep one, which one are you keeping?
0: I'm keeping hmm, – knowing that I would primarily be using it for recording, I'd keep the oak because it requires the least EQ, therefore the least digital artifacts and all that stuff. Just put a mic on it and it's ready – pretty much ready to send off to be mixed. Yeah. If I'm looking for one that I think is the most interesting, I would go with the Elm. If I'm going with know. the one I think looks the coolest – It'd be the Elm. Unfortunately, the Ash would not get chosen for any of these for me. Because I have maple drums. I think the Ash just sounds like a really nice quality drum. Yeah. I think the Ash is
1: a great drum. One, it's gorgeous, but it's also a great drum if somebody if you are that person that always have to has to say like your little tidbit after somebody gives you a compliment. Like, <laughs> like oh nice car. Oh thank you. It's electric. Like instead of just being like thanks. <laughs> like if you wanted it like nice snare. Thank you. It's ash. Like, uh, oh, I yeah. thought it was maple. Like, if you need that one little thing, the ash is perfect for that. Uh, I think the elm would probably be the snare I would add to my collection, not because I think it's the best sounding, because it's the one that I don't currently have sound wise. Mm-hmm. And then, but if I was just picking out of the three of these, like you said, The least amount of work and just consistency, okay, it's going to sound like a snare drum at all tunings. The oak just killed. That thing is awesome. But I think all three of these are beautiful. And what you said, especially when you said that they all felt the same, I think that has a lot to do with who made it. Yes, I think you would find that in a sugar drum. I think you would find that in a Craviato.
0: I think a better shootout would be compare one Doc Sweeney to one sugar percussion, to one Danette, to one Craviato. Yeah. Because they're so very different. Like I, when you say sugar percussion, I immediately think that's a drum that just – that wants to be hit. Like those mm. drums, they explode and they have, they have a really wide, broad sound. <laughs> Way to do that right when you say explode. <laughs> Skadoosh! You know, and I just think that's indicative yeah. of, of – of, but at the same time very musical. And the, this stuff from Doc, it's like classic, but it's got a certain punchy and just – broadness and craviato, it's it's a vintage vibe. Like I think Mm. my experience is more about who made it, what sound were they hearing in their head. They're going to get that wood to get that sound no matter what. So they're going to figure out how to make that wood do that. That's crazy that like the
1: way that you and I tune and the way you and I EQ and mic something, they're doing that before the drum is built. Exactly. It's in their head and they're shaving off little things and they're changing the bearing edge because they know the end product while they're actually doing it. That's insane to me.
0: Yeah, that's, that's the art wow. of it. I think that's why we should support all these small craftsmen because they're, they're able to take the time to really do that versus here's our template, cut it, shape it, put it out there. That's our drum, yeah. which you got to do that too if you're, just, if you're dealing with just numbers. But when you're dealing with handcrafted one drum at a time boutique stuff, it's pretty special. And it just makes me feel more excited to play knowing that like this is someone's masterpiece for that day. You know, yeah. like that's the one thing they made that day and this is, and I'm getting a chance to play it. It's really special. Yeah.
1: I, I, I gotta tell you, every time I talk to a, a drum builder and we speak on the phone uh, and I, re- I remember going through the building process with Jefferson over at Sugar, uh, I just, re- I just, at the end, I'm always thinking, how is it not more expensive? You're putting everything you have into this yeah. over the course of multiple days and, machining these parts sometimes and then it's not you know, more expensive some, because we're cheap and we don't
0: have any money
1: <laughs> no totally i totally i mean yeah you put this
0: in any other industry and they'd be like think about what a martin uh, guitar goes for oh god you yeah. know like or a tailor i mean any, any like handcrafted that's because industry.
1: nobody that's actually playing guitar for a living has one
0: <laughs> it's all doctors and <laughs>
1: The same person that starts drums with a 42-piece DW. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think I'm going to dip my toe into the drum world. What do you think about DWs? I'm like, I don't think about DWs if you're dipping your toe into the drum world. <laughs> Check out the PDP catalog. All right. Old man Johnston out. <laughs> okay, let's get into our dream. Or We got some listener questions, and then we'll get to our dream contest winner.
0: All right, so... um Gosh, we're actually over an hour. We're going to have to skip listener questions this week, unfortunately. Fine. (laughs) We have a bunch of them. Maybe next week we'll do a primarily listener question episode because we've been neglecting them. Uh, We have some good ones too. So anyway, let's get to the winner of our dream contest, shall we? Yes. So this contest
1: was you needed to take a clave, any of the what we considered to be the four standardized claves, even though there's many more and you needed to tweak it by displacing one single note inside that thing that you've known your whole life. And we actually got quite a few responses on Instagram and it was really cool. I got to say some of you, I was just thinking, Oh, the way you did that, if I had to do that, it would throw off everything. If I displaced that note, that's the note that I can't move. I mm-hmm. can't move that note. Uh, and sometimes I, I would say with our winner, I had to be like, well, where did you start? And then how did you end up here? Because I haven't read the description to find out how you displaced it. And I was like, wow, man, you could move one note in a clave and you would never recognize that the
0: genesis of it was a clave. That's, and our that's, winner did that. Yeah, that's what I loved about it was is as I was going through all these entries. like I, I would, If you would have said, what is he basing, he or she basing this beat on, I wouldn't have said, well, that's obviously a 3-2 clave.
1: I'm oh just, i would instantly say uh dc go go music right. <laughs> right that's what i heard like, which is kind like, of oh, revealing
0: man. how the universal rhythms are basically three over two i mean it's it's Absolutely. just human nature so you want to give the final announcement? no i won't because uh i don't
1: have it in front of me but i do know that i watched it and he has a minor groove bell so thank you for i think he does i can't totally tell but it <laughs> It looks like he did, so thanks for getting my cowbell.
0: So the winner is, I'm probably going to mispronounce your name, and I think you've even sent in lists or questions in the past, but it is Sean Pally? Paley. Either way, yep. you win the Dream Gorilla Ride, so I will be reaching out to you via your messages and get your address. Thank you to everyone who participated. We do have another Dream giveaway to do soon. We've got a uh, Dark matter. Flat Earth Ride to give away oh, next. Oh, okay. I'm totally competing in that <laughs> <one>. Don't tell <laughs> Minel. <all.
1: laughs> that is awesome. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope you enjoyed everything that we got a chance to talk about. And we are going to send you out with a uh, former camper, longtime student, Scott MacArthur. He's calling this one The Wave.
0: Take it. He's playing a Gretch Renown kit, pop sizes, sonar, AQ2 snare, some Sabian three cats. Uh, yeah. All right, everybody, check out Lenny White.
1: He's always been one of my favorite drummers.
0: (laughs) See you next week. (laughs)